guys a, a few weeks back in the service, and then we also sent an email out. We got some really great questions, and that's what the whole series is about. Questions from you guys about the Bible, about life, about current events. So really, you guys crafted the material that we're going to cover for the next four weeks. Now, obviously, there's a ton of us, so we can't hit every single question, but we're going to do the best we can over the next four weeks to hit as many as we can. And today, we're going to try to cover two questions. And I really wish you could have seen the video because she set that up so well. And at the very end, she hits the question that we're going to start with that, to be quite honest with you, is a can of worms in the church. You're like, Pastor, you always do. I know I have a glutton for punishment. It's like I'm drawn to controversy. I don't know what it is. But hey, I've never backed off from hard questions, and I'm not going to start now, okay? This is something that I think is important that you know how I feel about what we're about to talk about. And let me just say right up front, the first half of this, this first question is going to be like we're sitting at Dunkin' Donuts, because that's the glory land. We're sitting at Dunkin' Donuts having a cup of coffee together forget starbucks we're having a we're having a cup of coffee just talking okay everybody got the, the feel this is not going to be a normal the half first half anyway it's not going to be a normal type sermon it's just a conversation and here is the question why do you think it's okay to have a woman preach <laughs> somebody said wow why do you think it's okay to have a woman preach? And I know you, some of you are thinking, Pastor, you are crazy to go hit this. No matter what you say, somebody's probably going to disagree, and you are absolutely right. But here's another reason that I'm going to take this question on. Several reasons. I have a wife and three daughters. Come on. I have a, listen, whoa, whoa. I have a female pastor on staff and I have a church full of women and young ladies who need to be affirmed and supported by their pastor and be very clear how I feel about this listen whoa 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 if God should call any of you to preach the gospel you need to know you have my full 100% support in Jesus name now you can clap if you want to Now, if you are new to church, a new Christian, new believer, this whole question is like, really, we're having this conversation in 2017? What? Yes. Yes, we are. Many mainline denominations, the role of the woman is still primarily limited to working with kids and instructing other women, rarely preaching or teaching the general congregation and if you have been in the church for a long time, you know that's true. The role of pastor and preacher has been dominated by men and always has been. Now, we're seeing some slow changes in the last 30 years, and certain denominations are making a lot more headway than others. But if you've been here the last two years, and I'm sure this is where the question comes from, you know that I've used my wife Kathy several times and Pastor Cody several times, and I'm going to do so again. But listen... I need you to understand something. I didn't put them in the pulpit because they're women. I didn't put them in the pulpit to try to make a point. I put them in the pulpit because they had something to say, and I trust them. Y'all still aren't bought into this yet. Okay. You're like, okay, Pastor, okay. 
Now, here's the ground rule. Here's the ground rule for this, com this, this one conversation. Actually, any conversation. Anything that where you're, there's a possible controversy or debate. Look at the screen. Next slide. It is okay to have a strong opinion one way or the other, but it's not okay to be disrespectful to the opposing side, to the other side. I think, I think that's one of the worst problems that we have in this country today. Lord, have mercy if we disagree. Come on, folks. You disagree with the people you live under the same house in the same roof. Yeah, I know that's a revelation. But come on, I mean, we are going to disagree about certain things, even as brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to have disagreements with your co-workers, your boss, amen, your husband, your wife, your kids, and your pastor. I think it's one of the biggest problems. We can't have a, a conversation, we can't have a disagreement without it being in World War III, and I think it's time for that to end in the church. We're adults, we're Christians, and we need to act like it. And at the end of the day, you may agree with me about this, or you may not. I hope to maybe, if you don't, at this point, I want you to look closely at what I'm going to bring to you as why, and maybe I'll change your mind, maybe not. But at the end of the day, if you disagree, let's, let's agree to disagree and move on because this is not a heaven and hell issue. It's not a matter of doctrine. It's a matter of instruction, okay? So it's the most important thing in something like this is to show grace all the time, all the time, amen? All right, good, all right, good, all right. I'm only going to spend about half of the sermon on this, but I want to show you why we're having this conversation, why from Scripture we do need to have the conversation. And I think I'm going to pray first. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your presence here today. We worship you, God, in spirit and in truth, in truth. God, I pray that your truth would be prevalent. I pray you would speak through me. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak to me as I'm preaching. God, I pray our hearts would be open to your word and that there would be, the place would be full of truth and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there's basically two problem verses here. There's two verses that always come up when we talk about this issue. So let's dive right into it. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, women should be silent during church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. They're starting off great, isn't it? If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church meetings. Real quickly, the word speak there, he's not talking about in the pulpit. He's talking about out in the congregation, speak out loud. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. Now, I know all you ladies right now, you're thinking, dear God, Paul must have been a male chauvinist, just a complete male chauvinist pig. And just, you know, I know that's what you're thinking. It seems obvious. At face value, that's exactly what it looks like. But here's what we need to understand. This entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 is instructions, are instructions on church order and worship. The whole thing, not just this one little passage, the whole thing. Paul was giving instructions about a lot of things, worship, songs, singing, 
the use of the manifestation gifts, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, all of the, so that everything is done with decency and in order. That's what he's, and this, these two verses are included in those instructions. So to understand this passage, we must understand the culture and the context that it was written. And I'm going to give that to you. Listen, if we pull these two verses up and just look at them by themselves, we get just what we read. And we're like, okay, that's a close, close the book, it's done, right? We, we pull those, but we make a mistake if we do that because context and culture are very important. In Middle Eastern services, the women sat on one side and the men on the other. I experienced this firsthand. I've seen it with my own eyes. When I was in Nepal, I saw this. When I was preached, the women were on one side and the men were on the other. Last March, when I was in Pakistan, the men were on one side, the women and the children were on the other. All right, now get that in your mind, okay? That's not what we have here, is it? That's not what we're used to. But get that in your mind. Now, add on top of that, that in Corinth, in these, in these services, most of the time, the preacher, the teacher, would speak in a very uh, uh, formal version of Arabic that only the men could understand most of the time. The women were not as educated. They were not allowed to be. Now, that's wrong. That's totally wrong, but think about the culture. It was a men-driven, a dominated, has been, you know, in most of the world, even still today. But the women were not allowed to learn this language, so just get this in your mind. All the men are sitting listening to the preaching. The women don't have any idea what's happening, and it's a bunch of women sitting there getting bored. What do you think is going to happen? What anybody would do, they're going to get bored, they're going to start whispering, it's going to get louder and louder, and eventually the speaker is going to say, ladies, shh, be quiet. I think that, and I, many scholars, not just me, many scholars believe that Paul was instructing the women in this situation to wait, stop talking, don't be a distraction, wait until they got home to ask their husbands what was being taught. Does that make sense? Is that plausible? You may disagree, but many, many scholars have come to that conclusion about this situation, and that's what I believe was happening here. All right, now let's move on to the even more difficult passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 through 15. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority. And actually, the better translation of authority there is the misuse of authority. To exercise the misuse of authority over a man, rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor, yet she will be saved through childbearing. This is getting good. If, can, if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. I'll see you next week. Y'all have a great week. I'm just going to be back here. Run away. No. No, seriously, this, this one is even harder, isn't it? It's, it looks even, even worse. I mean, it seems clear cut. Sorry, ladies you got to be quiet and let the wisdom just flow from us men. 
and you learn. Just, just, just flow. Now, some of you men, I know what you're thinking. I knew that was in the Bible. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, and now I know it. Now, you better let that go quick. You better turn loose of that. Now, this whole passage seems to be saying that women are second-class citizens at every level. They're the daughters of Eve. Eve was created second, not first. She was the one who was deceived. She was the first sinner. Ladies, you should just, just you know, go, have babies and be quiet. Is that what it says? Sure looks like it. Come on, let's be honest. That's what it looks like. But once again, we make a mistake if we just pull these scriptures up and look at them without context and without the culture. It's a mistake. And we, we've, we've made that mistake for many, many years, in my opinion, in the church. Because we're not, once again, we're not talking about doctrine. We're not talking about sin and salvation. We're not talking about Jesus is the only way of salvation. Now, if I get up and say, you know what, I've been, been praying about this, and I'm not quite sure Jesus is Lord. I'm not quite sure Jesus rose from the dead. Then you don't talk to me or debate me about that. You run from this place. You understand what I'm saying? That's doctrine. You don't mess with doctrine. You don't mess with that. But to pull this out and to treat it that way is a mistake. And so we have to look at the culture and we have to look at the, 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 the context. And if we were to study this church, remember, this is a letter. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his protege, to his spiritual son in the Lord, Timothy, who was a young pastor in Ephesus. Timothy had evidently written to him and asked him questions and told him, I'm having some major problems here. I need your advice. Anybody ever ask somebody older than you, more experienced about something? Come on. That's what was happening. And, and, and Paul was responding to that by writing this back to him. And if we were to study what was happening, they were basically having church in the shadows of a massive pagan temple, a cult dedicated to the goddess Diana where there was prostitution and all kinds of evil things taking place, and the cult was exclusively managed and run by women. Hmm. So there were all kinds of problems and distractions and disruptions and even false teaching that was happening that Timothy was battling in this church. And so many scholars believe, as I do again, Paul was going overboard. He was making sure he made the point that Christianity does not look like that. That we're not going to do things the way they do things. That, 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 you know, that you can't do it that way. Because here's what was happening. Many of these women were being gloriously saved out of this cult. And they were coming into the church with a very polluted mindset and in view of authority, of Christian authority. And so it created major, major problems. Nowhere else, listen, nowhere else in the New Testament, nowhere else does Paul make as strong a statement as he does right here. Nowhere else in his writings. So I have to believe that he was addressing a specific problem in this specific 
church that Timothy was having and pastoring. If we use this scripture, oh, let me, let me just let me, let me deal with the, the whole childbearing thing and all that. I think he was telling them, I think he was telling, yeah, they'll be saved through childbearing. Does he mean they're going to be, their salvation comes through having babies? No. No. This situation will be resolved by teaching the women to go back to the basics, go back to who God created them to be, be faithful in these things, continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control, begin to learn the way of following Christ. God, let's do a work in them. That's what needs to happen first, and these problems will become, they'll be resolved. You, does that make sense? No. <laughs> I think it does. If we tried, listen, if we try to use this passage to restrict all women from church leadership, then what we're doing is elevating these few verses above all the rest of Paul's writings in the New Testament and all of the kingdom teachings that Jesus gives. We're elevating them up above everything. When you read all of Paul's letters, all of Paul's letters and the book of Acts, which is the history of the church, you will realize that Paul supported the leadership of women in the church. So my conclusion on this, if you care, I hope you do, is that Paul was not giving us church policy for ages to come. Okay, you understand what I mean? He wasn't saying this is the way it's got to be for every church and every time and every culture to, until Jesus comes back. He was dealing with a specific problem in the Ephesian church, and so I don't think it can be used to hinder women in church leadership. Look at the screen. Paul's instructions concerning women in 1 Timothy 2 are a matter of church discipline, not church doctrine. Church discipline, not church doctrine. Now, I feel very good about that conclusion because I know what Paul said in so many other places in the New Testament. In Romans 16, 7, he refers to Junia as an apostle. That's as high as it gets. In Acts 21, 9, Philip's four daughters were prophets. In Philippians 4, Judea and Sintesh were evangelists. In Romans 16, Phoebe was a preacher. In Acts uh, 18, Priscilla was a pastor and a teacher, and her ministry rose to more prominence than her husband, Aquila. Lydia was a church leader. Nympha was a church leader. Chloe was a church leader. Aphia was a church leader. And all of them were partners with the same man who wrote the scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul the Apostle. They were all working together. And Paul himself said in Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Peter, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, coming out on the day of Pentecost, preached this in Acts chapter 2.17. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on all people, your sons and, do it again, will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What does prophesy mean? It means speak forth the word of the living God. What do you think preaching is? Come on, folks. 
He's saying it right here. He's quoting the, the prophet Joel, and he's saying, this is that. We're seeing it now, and it's for everyone. It's for everyone. Let's also remember that Jesus chose 12 men as his disciples. Well, Pastor, you're going backwards on that. Come on, folks, use your head. Why would he not, why would he not choose 12 men? He's going to be living with these guys. It wouldn't be appropriate for him to pick women to, to be in his inner circle. That wouldn't be appropriate. But one of those men betrayed him. The other 11 ran for their lives when he was arrested and crucified. It was the women followers who came bravely and attended to him as he carried the cross. And it was the women who, who came uh, and unashamedly kneeled at the foot of the cross while he was suffering and dying to be there with him. And it was to women that God entrusted the greatest news ever told that Jesus was risen. It was to women. All the ladies are like, that's right. <laughs> look, look at the screen. It was women who preached the news of the resurrection for the first time. Women. Women preached the gospel that he was alive for the first time. Now, does that mean we should never talk about the differences? Of course, come on. We're different because God made us different. That's why marriage is to be between a man and a woman. Because God wants to put together to make a whole. And women bring a unique perspective. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting in trouble now. You know it's true. We're laughing. But it's a perspective that we need in the church. And it's, a, it's, it's leadership that we need in the church. But we need to celebrate our differences. Not try to cover them over. Now, if you have any further questions about this, I really, I really do. If you really want to talk about this, if you, if, if you, if you disagree completely, that is so okay. I would love to talk with you more about it. We can meet at Dunkin' Donuts. That's a great excuse to drink coffee. And we can, the Bible says, let's, let us reason together. Let us talk together. It's okay that we disagree. It's not okay that you get really mad at me and offended at me and leave the church. That's not okay. That's not being Christian. It's not okay if you disagree and then talk to somebody else and get something stirred up. That's not okay either. But it is okay for us to get together and talk about it. And it is okay, even in that point, for you to continue to disagree and let us just get past it and let's do something for Jesus together. That's okay. That's okay. Now what I want to do is clap for all of our ladies who are volunteering and serving in this church. Come on. Woo! I could say so much more about that and about the history of the American church, basically, when the guys don't come through and it's pretty much the ladies who run things, and then when some man comes along who decides he's going to do something, then everybody has to, you know, I'm just, I'm saying, that's, that's been the model. And it's, it's, it's not right. It's just not right. 
All right, now everybody take a breath. Breathe out. All right, here's our next question. One more for the day, all right? And this is more sermon-esque, and I think this is for everyone. Not that the other thing wasn't. Look at the screen. Here's the question. What was Jesus writing in the sand when they brought the adulterous woman out to him? And now you're thinking, Pastor, you really have lost it. You can't even answer that question. Nobody even knows. And no, we don't. We don't know for sure. We don't know for sure, but I think we can make a very educated guess about that. And also, more importantly, this story is so powerful. And it teaches us so much about how to treat people based on what Jesus did and why he did it. If we will apply the principles we can learn from this story, it can be life changing. Why? Because we will learn how to treat people like Jesus treated people. And that's what we're supposed to do. So let's uh, look at John chapter 8. Nobody left for that last section, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy and praising God on that. Okay. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Verse 3, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. There's no question there. She did it. They caught her. They put her in front of the crowd. So get the picture in your mind. These men, these religious leaders, drag a woman kicking and screaming. You think she came quietly? Kicking and screaming. Her clothes are, are probably, the clothes she had on were probably ripped and torn. She was humiliated. She was terrified because she knew where this was headed. She knew what was about to happen. Verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his fingers. So Jesus writes in the dirt two times in this story. What did he write? Well, of course, any answer is conjecture, but I think we can make an educated guess based on the Hebrew culture, once again, and the Old Testament, and based on who Jesus was and how he normally treated people. But first, I want to give you some, some not-so-good guesses, in my opinion. You might have heard these preached in, in the past in this story. Number one, he was stalling for time. He, he's like, you know what, I know they're trying to trap me, so I'd better just, mm, and he was doodling. Don't write, he wasn't writing anything. He was just stalling for, folks, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's God in a bod, okay? He, he, is, he is Jesus. Yeah. He doesn't need to stall for time. Number two, he was writing the names of prostitutes that some of the men had visited. That's a lot more interesting, isn't it? But I don't think that was the case. I don't think that was the case. Number three, he wrote the sins of the men from oldest to youngest. Now, that's getting closer, but not exact, I don't think. Now, I want to give you an Old Testament scripture, and then I want us to back our way in from that to a possible answer. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you, all who sin, turn their back on you, will be put to shame. Was there shame happening here in this story? Was the woman put to shame? Yes. Those who turn away from you will be written 
in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Now, let me explain to you the tradition. This was not something new, what happened here. But it wasn't happening as tradition and oral law said it was supposed to happen. What was supposed to happen was they were supposed to bring out the woman and the man and two witnesses. There had to be two witnesses. And they brought them, and the priest would bend down in the courtyard, and he would write the man's name and the woman's name and the offense in the dust. Because if they found them to be guilty, they would stone them, and then they would wipe them away. I believe Jesus wrote the name of the woman and the man because he's Jesus and he knew who the man was. I believe he wrote the name of the woman and the man and the offense, taking on the role of priest, doing what they were supposed to do. Listen, and by doing so, he was basically saying, guys, you're breaking the very law that you're about to stone this woman over. But they ignored him first. They ignored him at first. Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right, big boys, we'll do it your way. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. He says, you know what? All right, we'll do this according to the law. I was trying to help you here. You know, I was doing this on the ground, what you were supposed to do. But let's do it your way. Let's stone her. But let the person who has never messed up let the man who has never fallen short, let the man who has never sinned throw the first stone and then all the rest of you can join in if you want to. Then he stooped down and wrote again in the dust. Now I think the second time that he begins to write, he begins to write their names under the man and woman from the oldest to the youngest. What he was saying by doing that, listen, Guys, if the woman deserves to die, you deserve to die. Verse 9. When the accusers heard this or saw this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are they? Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them stay and condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Neither do I. But then listen, he says, go and sin no more. And a better translation of that is leave your life of sin. Because, see, we all mess up probably every day in, in, in sin, don't we? I mean, you know, you, if you drive in Atlanta, you, <laughs> you need grace all the time. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a lifestyle of sin. He's saying, leave your lifestyle of sin. So it's important for us to understand. Look at the screen. Jesus didn't excuse the woman's sin, but his focus was on her, not on what she did. Let that soak in. He, he didn't excuse the sin, but his focus was on her and not what she did, not the sin. Now, these religious, let's talk about these guys. I mean, every time we see these religious leaders, they are angry. 
They're angry when he's healing people. There's ang- he's, they're angry when he's, when he's teaching. They're angry when he raises somebody from the dead. They're angry at him all the time. And they're angry because they spend every waking moment trying to keep a law perfectly that is impossible to keep and trying to please a God that in their mind is a terrible, vengeful God. And the fact that Jesus was offering forgiveness and healing and grace and mercy to anyone, women, children, sinners, tax collectors, it was more than they could bear. And I'll tell you why. It's because they were thinking, that's not right. They don't deserve it because they're not working for it like I am. And they could not bear it. They were so angry. And they spent all of their time trying to trap him. Folks, this is a huge lesson for us. Listen, you've got to get this. If we're not careful, we will follow and fall into the same trap as they do. Let me ask it in a question. What is it that upsets you most when a person sins? What is it that upsets you the most when a person sins? What upsets you about the guy in the next booth when you're trying to eat and he's using foul language and being obnoxious? What upsets us about the lady at Walmart that's just absolutely getting on our nerves or rude or uncaring? What is it that upsets us the most when we're watching the news and we're seeing teenagers breaking windows and looting stores? If the only thing, you got to hear this, if the only thing that upsets us is what they're doing, the sin that they're engaged in, we are no better than these men. In other words, look at the screen. If the sin is the focus and not the person, we become the modern-day Pharisee. If the sin is the focus and not the person, we become the Pharisee. Jesus was always focused on the person and not the penalty. Aren't you thankful? Come on, somebody. That's good news. And that is the heart of our Savior. A desire to heal and forgive and reconcile us to his Father. That's why he came to die. Last week, uh, Pastor Russ shared some about our, our mission trip to New Hampshire. And Thursday evening of that trip, we had the opportunity to go to this cultural event. Not a Christian event, by any means. A cultural event event and so we were sitting there and what it basically was was eight people sharing their story of immigration to the United States legal immigration and some of them had gone through horrible conditions in refugee camps and the the stories were gripping and sad and, and, and powerful and all of these things and we're just like wow you know these people go through this and they were also thankful to be in the United States and and they were learning so they could become citizens and all of these things. And then the seventh guy, the second to last guy, gets up. Really not nice, good-looking guy, young guy, gets out there and he starts talking. He's from Iraq. He's talking about being oppressed in Iraq. He's talking about not being able to be who he really is. And all. And I thought, oh, I know where this is going. And then he talks about being in the United States and being able to 
come out and be who he really is. And then he got arrogant and started talking about all of the men he had kissed and all of the different places that he had kissed them. All, and it got really prideful and really just kind of t- the spirit turned. It was like, and I'm sitting there, you know, I'm putting my, I've got you know, teenagers, the whole row. And, and this is a, not a Christian, so everybody's clapping and, and hooting and hollering for him and, and all of this stuff. And, and the, all rows like this. And we're like, oh, I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy. What am I going to do? And I got angry. I got angry at him. And the Holy Spirit checked my spirit. And he said very clearly, Alan, are you angry because this guy is gay? Are you angry because he messed up your little evening and your moment? Or are you angry because he's lost and undone? And so after the evening was done, I gathered the truth. I used it as a teaching moment, and that's what I shared. The big idea, folks, don't focus on a person's sin. Focus on their soul. Don't focus on their sin. Focus on their soul. Because only by the grace of God are we not in their shoes. Don't ever forget what Jesus has done for you and for me. This week I want to challenge us to think about this truth. About not getting upset. Are we winking at sin? Are we saying sin is not? No, that's not the issue at all. But being upset not for just what somebody is doing, even if they're sinning against you, not being upset as much about that as the fact that you know they are lost and in need of Jesus Christ. When Jesus wrote in the dust, or what he wrote in the dust, listen, is not as nearly as important as what he wrote woman's heart forgiven forgiven 